so just to embarrass us all, are there those, I know there's at least one I'm aware of, that have served in the services Two back there, could you raise your hands? Would you mind? Two, three, several here. Thank you very much for, you know, I, um, there are people from this fellowship that can't be here this morning because they are under the direct orders and the direct employ and the direct authority of Governor Janet Mills. And uh, they have to make the decision because of the people they're leading to uh, not uh, set an example that would disrupt their lives and circumstances. You know, so our being together, you know, we're, we're grateful for the opportunity, but we're also very respectful. You know, Romans 13, the authorities have been put over us. We're, we are walking that balance uh, between the two of obeying what Jesus Christ said you know we're if you're not aware of it we're now on uh twitter and instagram and facebook and we have the website and all of that and boy the comments that come back you know people are fired up uh, about things and you know just try to i've just tried to graciously uh, respond you know they're talking about how selfish this is of us to come together at church and you know trying to make the point uh to people you know very carefully that uh, this this is actually the act of selflessness that that what we're doing is establishing for people uh you know and and again i've pointed to the mayflower compact the constitution of america main state constitution you know so yeah the legal position but there's the god-given right to worship that 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 supersedes everything and, and literally people are, have taken that away and to, to come back together and say, okay, we've examined the situation. We're all adults here. We, we know how to be precautious and care for those that are weak and vulnerable. And, and uh, you know, also to understand, count the cost for ourselves and, and to come together and, and to worship. I just so appreciate uh, what the president said about how essential uh, worship is and and our gathering uh, together you know jesus christ you know i got a guy fires back at me this morning uh saying i can split a piece of wood and you know flip over a rock and find god in any of those places you don't need a church was his final statement uh we are the church <laughs> okay uh, uh i need you you need me we we need one another Okay, you know, and God isn't under a rock. You know, he's in plain view. His attributes can be seen in creation, as Paul said. Jesus Christ saying, two or more of you gathered in my name. You know, in the encouragement to gather. And Hebrew is telling us to not forsake the gathering together, as some have taught. I've quoted that so many times in the past 11 weeks. 11 weeks, you guys. Okay, so we have the opportunity to be back together. With that, uh, what we experience here, what we learn here, what the Lord does here, uh, you want to take it and share it with others. Uh, these are available out front. Pocket Testament League. This is the Gospel of John. Uh, in it are 
directions to their website, and uh, you can order these. Uh, last I knew, there st you can still get 30 a month free. So the idea is you would have one with you every day, and as you share the gospel, you can literally hand someone the gospel of John. Not just a track, uh, which it, those are awesome, please use them, uh, but to actually put the word of God in somebody's hand. And, and to allow them to examine the word of God for themselves. So we have a number of these out front. You know, we'll continue to supply. My encouragement is, is as you take one, go online yourself and start getting them sent to you directly, regularly. It's a wonderful ministry and a wonderful opportunity to take our message to the world and to share it with them that they would know Christ. So gospel, uh, the uh, Pocket Testament League out front. Leviticus chapter 24 is uh, where we are this morning. Uh, we've already prayed, so I'm going to jump right in. And, uh, you know, our distinctive as a church that uh, we continue on through the Word of God from Genesis to the book of Revelation, uh, just reading the Word and trying to explain it uh, to the best of our understanding so that everyone, as Paul said, uh, gets the whole counsel of God's word, right? I, I got my pet peeves and my hang-ups, and if I'm teaching topically, I'm probably always going to sort of curve towards those things that you know I'm particular about. If we teach through the whole Bible, then it tends to pull us where we're supposed to go. You know, some of that personality still shines through but uh you know or glares through however you want to look at that um <clears throat> you know but uh you know the idea is that we try to create the consistency uh by by following the word of god and and letting it minister to us so leviticus chapter 24 verse 1 then the lord spoke to moses saying command the children of israel that they bring to you pure oil of pressed oil olives for the light uh, now this is the lamp that he's referring to inside the tabernacle uh, there that they would illuminate the holy place where the the showbread is kept and we'll talk about some of these things as we move on but that's the light the lamp inside the temple that he's referring to to make the lamps burn continually outside the veil of the testimony in the tabernacle of meeting Aaron shall be in charge of it from evening until morning uh, before the Lord continually. It shall be a statute forever in your generations. He shall be in charge of the lamps on the pure gold lampstand before the Lord continually. Now, um, this, this was a constant uh, maintenance the uh, trimming and the changing of the wicks. Uh, these are lamp, you know, oil lamps shaped like uh, sort of an olive, the, the actual seed. And you've seen them, it has that center cap and they pour the oil in and the spout and the, the flame on the end. And you know, they had this lamp stand. You, you often hear it referred to as a candle stand. Uh, candles didn't come until much later. It was an olive oil lamp. Uh, that burned continually inside the temple, and it would require constant maintenance. You're going to have to clean it. You're going to have to change it. You're going to have to trim the wicks. You're going to have to fill the oil continuously. 
so it's the priest's job to ensure that this flame is continually illuminating the inside of the tabernacle. Uh, there's a, you know, a, a tremendous uh, allegory or metaphor within this of the Holy Spirit and the constant continual need for that flame and that illumination and, and uh, the attention uh, to uh, the Lord's working and energy and light in our lives. And, and the priest is, uh, in this case, in charge of that. Now, uh, we shouldn't misplace our understanding, you know, to our pastor or, you know, some spiritual influence in our lives in that way, right? The priest was a symbol of Jesus Christ, you know, a foreshadowing of, and, and we are each called, you know, priests in his kingdom. Now he has made us a kingdom of priests unto himself. So, so we are each in charge of tending that lamp in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds, the illumination. And, and then, you know, as it comes from the Holy Spirit, that is fueled and motivated by the word of God. Your, your word will be a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So, so we need to constantly be morning until evening in the attention of the word in our lives. It has to be constantly flowing in to our hearts and our minds. You, you neglect that at all, and the light starts to diminish, and things start to burn out, and all kinds of darkness starts to creep in. The attention to the illumination of God in our lives, that's our responsibility. You know, this, this place, this coming together, right? You know, it fuels, we're called to have pastors, we're called to have gatherings, we're told to have the congregational meetings in the New Testament. We see the New Testament believers gathering together at the temple every day to be taught by the apostles. We have all kinds of congregational worship examples and leadership and Paul talking about the authority of the pastors and the elders within the church. So we have that structure. But you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So you've got to keep that lamp lit in your lives all the time. That's your responsibility. You know, if, if it's gone out, that's not my responsibility. My responsibility is that I would come here and show you how I'm trimming the wicks in my life and filling the lamp in my life and, you know, inspire you to do the same in your own. That, that together, we, as we go out, we would be this radiant temple in the world around us, attracting people to Christ, right? People say that, you know, oh, you know, my hometown, that's a dark place. Take the light there. You know, you know, oh, my job, that's a dark place. Take the light of Christ there. Oh, my school, those professors, that is some dark place. You know, take the light of Christ there. You don't have to have, you know, how many of us have, found our way around now with that silly little light on the back of our cell phone, right? You know, you're trying to get in the car and you've dropped the keys and oh my word and you're fumbling, that, that light. Remember when we didn't have that light? You know, how many times did you scratch the whole door up trying to figure out where that keyhole was, trying, trying to get in the house, in the dark? A little bit of light will provide tremendous direction for people, tremendous guidance you don't have to be the light that has illuminated the whole world and blinded everyone 
around you. Simply let what Christ is doing in your life shine. You've got to put that forward to people. Now, this constant refilling, this constant attention, the trimming and uh, you know the attention and the provision that was going on. We have a beautiful picture that's given to us. Uh, you may want to turn to Zechariah chapter 4. It begins in verse 2 as Zechariah has this vision. He said to me, what do you see? So I said, I'm looking and there is a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it. And on the stand, seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. Two olive trees are by it, one at the right of the bowl and the other at the left. So I answered and spoke to the angel who talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? And the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. So he answered and said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. The, the lamp in the vision is plugged right into, through this piping, to the olive trees. Continuous flow of the Holy Spirit. Non-stop, you know, uninterrupted fuel in our lives. You know, it, it has been said that, you know, when we experience burnout, it's because we were doing it in our own strength rather than in the spirit. And I can tell you as a pastor, I know that to be very true. That when we are fading, when we are crumbling, when we are falling apart, it, it has everything to do with our reliance upon the Holy Spirit. You can be continuously plugged into the source that will provide the fuel, that will give the illumination. If there is that constant smoldering and the extinguishing and the reigniting going on in your life, I say to you, plug in to what you should be plugged into, the Holy Spirit. Hey, think about Jesus talking about the living water and how if anyone thirsts, that uh, he would give them the living water, which would be a torrent of living water pouring out of them into other people's lives. When we found that source, it accomplishes a great work in our lives and through our lives. 24.5, and you shall take fine flour and bake 12 cakes with it, two-tenths of an ephah, shall be in each cake. You shall set them in two rows, six in a row on the pure gold table before the Lord, and you shall put pure frankincense on each row that it may be on the bread for a memorial, an offering made by fire to the Lord every Sabbath. Uh, he shall set it in order before the Lord continually uh, being taken from the children of Israel by an everlasting covenant, and it shall be for Aaron and his sons, and they shall eat it in a holy place, for it is most holy to him from the offerings of the Lord made by fire, by a perpetual statute. Now, uh, there's an image within this. Each of the tribes is to be represented, the twelve loaves, uh, there's an image in it in 
of offering, of tithes and offerings, that they're bringing to the Lord from their substance. Now, we shouldn't make the mistake of looking at this like some kind of sacrifice on their part, like they've got to go through the process and make the bread and provide it for the Lord to bring it in you know, to the tabernacle, and that's how the priests are taken for. It is much rather the opposite. It's the idea that God has provided for them. Everything has been given to them. And what these loaves symbolize is their taking from what the Lord has provided for them and then out of gratitude giving it back to the Lord so that the priests can be sustained, so that the priests will then in turn bring the people to the Lord. That their teaching and their admonishing and their explanation of the word will inspire the people and create in their hearts the relationship with the Lord that is necessary for them. So this, rather than it being, you know, flowing from the people to the Lord, this is really supposed to be an image of the Lord's provision flowing to the people. And, and then their gratitude in giving back to him. The frankincense, right? The, the three gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Uh, gold was given as a symbol of Jesus being the king, gift for a king. Myrrh was an embalming ointment that was you know, given as a symbol of his coming sacrifice and death. Frankincense was the symbol of the priesthood. Okay, The, the offering, the fragrance, the smell of worship. This bread is to have the, the fragrance of uh, sacrifice, uh, of worship and service to the Lord in it. That the priesthood is bound up in this bread and what it is that they're doing with the people. John chapter 6 verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of the life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. God's provision in our lives philippians chapter 4 verse 19 and my god shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by christ jesus we should not mistake this as being some statement about materialism at all not this old testament statement not what jesus is saying in the new testament it is rather explaining to us that Jesus is all that we need. That that bread, that even what we're able to offer back to the Lord, is Jesus Christ working in our lives. You know, I know many of you are, are suffering during this time as you're not able to work or you have limited hours and you get all these things. And in the beginning, you know, the thought and the statements were coming forward as people are saying, you know, this job is provided for me for all these years and now it's being taken away from me. And I watched as a pastor as uh, that statement changed over days and weeks and people began to realize the Lord is still taking care of me. The realization that the job wasn't the provider wasn't the provision that all along the way it had been the Lord. The Lord had been the one who was putting the paycheck there. You know, the things, I really like the, the things that many of you have communicated back to me that you've learned through this process, 
right? As much as this has been terrible, and as much as we haven't liked it, you know, when we're children of God, discipline causes us to learn. Even if we don't like it, <laughs> we learn because we're children of God, right? You know, Proverbs telling us that you can correct the wise man, he'll be wiser still. Still, you can, you know, basically try to pound it into the foolish man and you're not going to get anywhere with that, right? The Lord and his children are learning through this process. He's our provision. 24.10, and now the son of an Israelite woman whose father was an Egyptian went out among the children of Israel and this Israelite woman's son and a man of Israel fought each other in the camp. And the Israelite woman's son blasphemed the name of the Lord and cursed. And so they brought him to Moses. His mother's name was Shilomith, the daughter of Didri, the tribe of the tribe of Dan. Uh, then they put him in custody the mind of the Lord might be shown to them. I want to point a couple of things out here. Paul tells us in the New Testament that we should not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Okay? There's a profound circumstance right here. Think about this in light of this dear woman, child of God, child of Israel, who is about to lose her son, and they are going to stone him to death. The loss that comes to her over the fact that she's bound in a relationship with an unbeliever. I cannot tell you how many times I have sat with people who are insistent, this relationship is what the Lord wants in my life. And I'm saying to them, it doesn't look like it from here. Everything you're telling me, and as I look at it, I, I don't see what you're seeing. I see an entirely different picture. And they insist and force their way into that relationship. And then they come back. And they're very insistent. This relationship is not what the Lord wants in my life. And they have to go through the pain that that relationship this, as this woman has to go through the pain. Okay. I want you to notice something here also. Her name is very detailed for us. Who she is. Okay. We read this and we're like, I don't know who that is. The point is, God wants us to know who this person is so that they stand as an example. How, how unfortunate that we have to stand sometimes as an example to the entire body of Christ, unfortunately, even by name, right? And, and then the things people say, oh, they just, they're gossiping about me. They're saying, look, you're an example. Isn't it much better if your name is detailed out as a good example, right? You want to see a good example, look at this person first middle, last, name, address, location, family. You know what I'm saying? It's wonderful when we can be a beacon and a direction and a guidance to good things, right? 
I've had to say this to many, especially young men, some young women, but I've had to say to young, many young men, clearly you have been born with the attributes of leadership in your life. God has made you a leader. Unfortunately, you're leading everyone the wrong direction. That's a terrible testimony. right? You don't have to be the conquering hero. If you just stand in the simplicity of the leadership God's given you like a road sign and point at the right direction. It's this terrible thing to have to have this as the history of a person. The influence of a father can also be pointed out here, right? You know, godly mother, wonderful working, example in the Lord, child of God, child of Israel, and yet, Clearly, the Egyptian, ungodly, worldly, sinful influence of this father has taken root. God always allowed for repentance. If an individual were to forsake their sin. So the fact that we see this go all the way through to the execution tells us that the bitterness and the hostility and the rebellion against the Lord must have continued right until the execution. That's, that's horrifying to think about. Some people will go that far in their defiance as their life collapses upon them and their circumstances are destroying them. They'll just stiffen their neck and set their face and They'll continue right into all of the pain. I know there's no one in this room like that, but I just, I hear other people behave that way. So pray for them, you know, think about that. 24:13, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take outside the camp him who is cursed. Then let all who heard him lay their hands on his head and let all the congregation stone him. This, this uh, laying on of the hands Right. This this was a thing uh, to say. It was within the priesthood. It was a transference of guilt. They would bring an animal, and that was going to be sacrificed for sin. The priest would lay their hands upon that animal, and they would confess the sins. And symbolically, the sin was transferred to the animal, and then it was put to death. It was sacrificed. Here, they are the ones who heard him. No one else. It isn't. You don't get to volunteer, you know, just because you want to see somebody hurt or killed. You know, you got, you got to be the person that says, I, I heard him blaspheme God. And, and I'm laying my hands upon this man as a testimony that he bears his own guilt. Transferring, you know, the guilt onto him, his own guilt. On to him. What a heartbreak. What an absolute heartbreak that this goes on in this way. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 25 says, Strike a scoffer, and the simple will become wary. Rebuke one who has understanding, and he will discern knowledge. I guess that's sort of like what I was saying just a moment ago, right? The first place I learned this, I think I shared this last week, was as a youth pastor. Trying to rule a group of unruly teenagers. Chaos. They're just disrupting constantly. And after we dealt with that for a period of time, the Lord laid it on my heart. 
And uh, I just threw the troublemaker out. Just start, you know, Bible study, just finish worship, and here comes the trouble, and here comes the disruption. And you know what? Get your junk. Get out. All offended. And what are you doing? Just get out of this class. You know, and literally as they're going out the door, do you know who my parents are? <laughs> yeah, I do, and I'm sure I'm going to talk to them. Boy, nobody else in the whole class disrupted anymore, you know? The realization of there's going to be stern discipline in this. The necessity for correction. You know, I, I mentioned moments ago, people on Facebook and, you know, otherwise making these comments. I don't make a big example of them, but I don't let ridiculous things go unanswered. You know, somebody makes some blasphemous statement, some contradictory thing, just very graciously, you know, with the New Testament seasoning of love to say to them, hey, have you ever considered this? <laughs> you know, have you, have you ever heard this passage before? Were you ever were you aware? It's funny how quickly they unfriend me and they never post again. You know what I'm saying? It's just, they disappear. They're not leading people astray anymore. That might be coming to receive guidance and receive the wisdom of God's word. You know, they're not, they're not there listening to the poison and the venom anymore. They've, they've been taken away from them. You know, Paul in the New Testament warns us as ministers to shut the mouths of those who would lead the congregation away. That's our responsibility as shepherds, to shut the mouths. And he, he's making a connotation between the wolves that attack the flock, right? Because it's the mouth of the wolf you have to be concerned about. Think about that. What, you know, what's in the mouth, the teeth, the destruction, in the mouth of the false teachers. You've got to guard the flock against the mouth of the wolves. So, you know, consider that. Set the example and guide the flock. Then, verse 15, you shall speak to the children of Israel, saying, whoever curses his God shall bear his sin. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall certainly stone him. The stranger, as well as him who was born in the land. Wow. Well, what if we made that our immigration policy? Wow. I don't know. <clears throat> as well as him who was born in the land. When he blasphemes the name of the Lord, he shall be put to death. Whoever kills. You know, I, I say that not, not because it's my desire. I say that because of the Christians who criticize the immigration policy. You know, when, when we're saying we need to protect our borders, we need to protect our people, we need to, you know, and then they want to point to the Bible and defend that position from the Bible. How about you understand what God was saying about letting people coming into the land and what their requirements would be? How about you actually come from a biblical basis, right? So we've seen that endlessly where people grab a certain passage out of the scripture and then they wield it incorrectly, right? The sword of God just flailing around with that thing doing all kinds of damage rather than protecting and serving and freeing with that sword. They're injuring and creating problems with the word of God, the sword of the spirit. 
So here, anyone who blasphemes all the congregations shall certainly stone him a stranger as well as him who was born in the land. When he blasphemes the name of the Lord, he shall be put to death. Whoever kills any man shall surely be put to death. Whoever kills an animal shall make it good, animal for animal. We're reviewing some of what Moses has already said in the law. Verse 19, if a man causes disfigurement of his neighbor as he has done, so shall it be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. As he has caused disfigurement of a man, so shall it be done to him. And whoever kills an animal shall restore it, but whoever kills a man shall be put to death. You shall have the same law for the stranger and for one from your own country, for I am the Lord your God. Same law for everybody, visitors, immigrants, or citizens. Huh. Wow. Biblical guidance. Imagine that. Not just deportation. Oh, that's weird. You know, not just imprisonment and then release. Not sanctuary cities. You don't see that anywhere here, huh? Biblical principles. Hey, you, don't, you want to reject the word of God wholesale? Fine. But please, again, don't take the word of God and try to create something in our culture that the word of God doesn't create. It's, that's a form of blasphemy within itself. Consider that. You know, Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. It doesn't work well here in the Hebrew language. Right, Because it's giving us the impression that if somebody knocks your tooth out, you, you've got to knock their tooth out. If they knock your eye, you've got to knock their eye. If they fracture, you've got to fracture. And, and that's gotten so severe that by the time Jesus arrives, everybody's walking around half blind and toothless. Seriously. This was meant as a limitation. We've described this many times. Jesus clarifies that in his teachings. Because... The reaction of the cultures all around them was, you've knocked my tooth out. So that's why I've killed all of your livestock and burned your house to the ground. And the Lord is saying, no, we're going to limit this to eye for eye and tooth for tooth. Right? The, 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 the surrounding nations would go berserk. They, they, they'd wipe out a family. Some, somebody gets offended within a family and they go over and kill a whole tribe. Because of some offense. So this was meant to be a guideline for limitation rather than being meant for a guideline of retaliation. Limitation rather than retaliation. Okay? So New Testament, Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. You have heard that it was said, Jesus speaking, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, verse 39, but I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And, and again, we, we just think of this as like, let yourself be beat up. And, and that wasn't what it meant within the culture at all. It literally had a very specific connotation that if someone slapped you, right, here comes the forehand, and they slap you, the other cheek is going to receive the backhand. Okay? M much more severe. All the bone of the back of the hand across the face. One, you've already been slapped. And then here comes the, the greater injury. Jesus is saying, it's okay 
to suffer wrong. You don't have to, as I said, then go exact your revenge. You don't have to. Throughout the New Testament, Jesus teaches even self-defense. He tells his apostles in Luke, I sent you out as sheep amongst the wolves without you know, knapsack or money or sword. I tell you now, sell your outer cloak and buy yourself a sword. And they said, we have two. He said, it is enough. My personal, I'm not saying this is the Bible. I'm saying this is my personal interpretation of that, right? We are told we should wield the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, right? The, the sword, the spiritual sword, the physical sword. They said, we have two here. What's the next thing we see happening with the sword? Peter's hacking people's ears off, right? He can obviously go, well, that was a mistake. Why? Because Jesus stops it and puts the ear back on and says, what am I doing? Leading a band of rebels here? You know, cut it out is essentially what went on there. You know, self-defense, carrying the sword, carrying the gun today. Don't even bother doing that if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're not governed by the word of God, you're going to do bad things. If your life isn't submitted to Christ, if you don't know where you should just take it on the chin, including a bullet, maybe, you know, you have to have your life governed by the Holy Spirit to handle such a gravity as that properly. Think about this. Who here in this room, uh, just sweep all that aside for a second, who here in this room wants to send somebody to hell right now? I pray to God nobody raises their hand because you may do that if you wield the gun, wield the sword. You may do that. I can't imagine. I can't imagine that. It could be necessary. Don't, don't, don't misunderstand me. <clears throat> I'm for gun ownership. I'm pro-self-defense. Okay. I'm not against these things. I don't think the word of God teaches against these things. But again, you must be governed by the Holy Spirit and the word of God. Don't don't take up the sword otherwise unless you have. So, unfortunately, verse 23, then Moses spoke to the children of Israel and they took outside the camp him who had cursed and stoned him with stones. So the children of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses. (sighs) Heavy of an occasion as that is, what it creates in the camp is the gravity of blasphemy. The, The overwhelming sense, right? You know, if you if you've ever read through this, or maybe even now, as I read through this, you kind of move it along with right. We've got a lamp that needs oil, and we've got bread and blasphemy, and wait, death, and okay, and don't kill people. And what's this about animals? And why do we? How do? How did we get here? Uh, Almost like the chapter came off the rails. The, The Lord is painting a picture here that here's worship. Here's the temple. 
right? Because Moses has the liberty to take this and put this anywhere in his writing that he wants to. He puts it right here to show us that coupled with proper worship is also the gravity of life and death. Literally. That our worship is associated with, how about this, politics. Government, law enforcement. Worship here is being demonstrated as being an integral part of all of this civil life. You know, the, these things, okay, you know, someone murders, they've got to be put to death. You know, if, if someone injures, if, if they destroy someone else's animal, all of these things, this is put right together with worship and, and, and God's provision. This, these aren't compartmentalized. These aren't in different locations. And people, they want us, you know, think about what this is right now that we've all just been through. That's what they want us to do. Compartmentalize our lives. They, oh, your church, your worship. That has nothing to do with, you know, COVID-19. That has nothing to do with public safety. That has nothing to do with the laws of our land. That's just a thing you do. No, this is one integral thing. Think about how impossible it would be for me to orchestrate this sermon's timing as, as landing right here as we're dealing with this. This is the orchestration of the Lord. That we would understand this is whether our land is set up this way, whether our government, our people, our nation is set up, this is the Lord's intention that all of these things be one picture. You know, that, that all of these things be sewn together. Here, here's something to think about. In most of the nations around the world, it is. I'm not talking about Christianity. I'm talking about their religious belief system is completely integrated into their politics. Completely integrated into their politics. You know, you, you can't go to India and not be experiencing their religion intermingled with their politics. One and the same. The caste society permeates every element of life. And it's so cruel and so godless and so vicious. You know, people talking about, oh, the Hindus, look at their dedication. Look at, yeah, right. And when a Dalit child accidentally touches someone of the upper class, that man goes to his house and hacks him to pieces with a sword. I'm not exaggerating, literally. Because he's lower than the animal kingdom and should never have come in physical contact with someone from the upper caste. Their religion is completely integrated into their site. But Buddhism, same thing. Right? Islam, do I need to say anything there? Christianity is the one, the one religion that prevails with truth and freedom. Christianity has provided the world with freedom. In the very next chapter, we're going to read about slavery, right? But within that, the Lord is telling the nation of Israel, their responsibility within that is to create freedom. Christianity is what freed the world from slavery. You know what the prominent driving force of slavery, of the Africans, 
was all over the world that brought African slavery to America? Islam. You know who was invading the tribes in Africa and killing and slaughtering and imprisoning those people and selling them to the, the slave traders? Islamic tribes. Islam has always enslaved and murdered and butchered the world. I mean, you know, just saying that today, like people are like, I'm saying here and people are like, like, why? Out of fear. Controlled by fear. Our faith needs to be integrated into this culture more and more. Hey, you know what? It is time for a revolution. Arm yourself with a pen in the voting booth. Get rid of these guys. Get rid of the Democratic Party. Get rid of them. What a wicked organization. Murdering children, enslaving people. Enslaving? Enslaving people. How did slave owners enslave people? With their money. That's what these politicians are doing. You want college? I'll give you college. Vote for me. You want a paycheck? Vote for me. You want, you want, you know, Planned Parenthood? 80, last, last I heard, my figures could be wrong, 86% of their abortion clinics are in minority communities. They're wiping out the minority communities with abortion. The wickedness of our culture. God save us. Because it's not, listen, it's not going to be us that saves us. It is so far gone. We've plummeted off the cliff, right? It, it isn't a matter of we're headed down, right? People say that, oh, it's headed downhill. We, we are off the hill, right? You know, we're airborne. <laughs> we're free falling presently. The only thing that's going to save this nation is Jesus Christ. That's it. So you submit to Jesus. Right? As Israel is being plunged into their captivity, when you read the Old Testament, there was always the remnant within the nation. Be the remnant. Be those who keep those lamps filled with the oil, who consume of the bread of life, who share with the world what the Lord is doing in their worship. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and we'll pray. Father God, you are so good to us. And we are so grateful. We have to admit the complacency that besets us so easily. Help us to focus on you. Help us to worship you. Accomplish what you want to with our lives. Lord, we bow our hearts. We bow our lives to you. And we ask that your kingdom would come. And your will would be done in us, in our midst, just as it is in heaven. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.